I'm Sammy Coates, former Auburn football player and all SEC wide receiver, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back into Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Alongside Ryan LaVoy, I'm J.J. Jackson. We mentioned a moment ago, but all of our sports call callers and guests, they join us on the Auburn Bank phone line. They've been your hometown bank for over 110 years. You can visit them online at auburnbank.com for more information. It's a busy time of year. As we mentioned, one week from today, we will be in Atlanta, Georgia, broadcasting live from SEC Media Days, which means the countdown is on. College football right around the corner for our Auburn Tigers, but still plenty of other sports going on, and we love following all of them, as does our next guest, a good friend of the program. It's Chuck Culpepper from the Washington Post back with us. Chuck, the time is always greatly appreciated. How's your summer been, my friend? Oh, it's been great. Good evening from Scotland. Yeah, they're up here in the northern latitudes where uh, sunset is just now happening around 9.30. It's unbelievable to uh, to be able to have this long distance of a phone call in, in 2022 and uh, be able to chat with you all the way from there as, as we get set for the British Open a little bit later this week. Well, well Chuck, before we get there, I do want to talk about uh, another major sporting event that just concluded. We saw the Wimbledon Championships come and go and we saw Novak Djokovic walk away a winner of the men's title Uh, a lot of great columns from you about the events there with Wimbledon but uh, Novak Djokovic walking away a champion once again Chuck yeah I think but thank you for saying that and I think it was um I think it was really hard to do I think the fact that he's probably not going to get to play the U.S. Open and maybe the Australian Open next year um you know, made put a lot of pressure on that one event, and it's because you know his vaccination status and the policies in those con- in the U.S. and in Australia, those countries. But I think um, that put a lot of pressure on Wimbledon. So did sort of the year he's had, and so did trailing in his last three matches there by two sets, by one set, and by one set. And I think what that was was really a demonstration of one of the greatest athletes ever in the world, and that's probably not as appreciated as it should be because Federer and Nadal preceded him and everybody loved them already, but he has really become just something to see in his composure and the way he solves problems on the, on the fly out there. And I think we saw a, a really fascinating uh, tournament overall, Chuck, because, I mean, we, we saw um, – Nick Kyrgios, just everything that that he is, is he as it's just a whole experience to watch him try and get through a four or five set match. We saw uh, Rafael Nadal uh, be able to uh, win a quarterfinal on a, a what was it a, a torn abdomen muscle. Um, I mean, what did you make of Nadal's performance, uh, and what did you make of of just the Nick Kyrgios spe- spectacle? So for Nadal, I think the thing we, you know, his withdrawal was probably for some of us who he's made us used to the fact that he can overcome, you know, most anything with all the toll he's put on that body through the years because of the way he plays. You know, it's very, you can just, you can just feel the bones and joints, you know, groaning, you know, in in that, that aggressive way that he plays, the compelling way that he plays. Um, So I think, maybe a little surprised. I remember that day last 
Thursday, I guess it was, waiting all day and thinking, yeah, he might withdraw. Then suddenly there's this press conference announced for 7.15 p.m. Wimbledon time. You're like, okay, he is going to withdraw because that could be the only reason for that. So what we what we want to think about in that instance is the 2009 U.S. Open, which he brought up uh, last year at some point, and he said that he had a six-inch I think it was a six, sorry, six, six millimeter tear in his abdomen at the beginning and a 26 millimeter tear at the end. And he considered that a mistake, you know, that he wanted to learn from. And I think withdrawing was the example of that he learned from that. And then Kyrgios, you know, I just never known totally what to make of it. Um, it's always noisy. It was, it had a great quotient of noise over achievement until this tournament. I think he put it together to some degree, and he was great in the final, and he absolutely belonged there. And and he really made Djokovic prove how, you know, just how unflappable and and impenetrable and you can't rattle him, uh, just how, how much Djokovic has all those features going for him. And, you know, the other thing when you're walking out there is Djokovic does for a 32nd Grand Slam final, and the other guy's in his first. That matters a little bit too. Uh, absolutely, and uh, with Kyrgios, it just always seemed like the talents there. But can he just ever come up with the composure to get to that point? We finally saw him, as you said, in his first Grand Slam final. I want to ask you too on the uh, on the women's side of things. We, we saw the return of, of Serena Williams. Um, we don't know how much more time, if at all, we have of, of seeing her play tennis. I, I guess at this point, and uh, I guess my question to you is like we, we've been so spoiled by her over the last decade and a half. Really, both Williams sisters, for that matter. Uh, you know, Coco Goff is obviously an emerging star. Uh, Naomi Osaka has has been wonderful, but has not played as much or as well recently. Like like who? Uh, for, for the fans of the, of the women's draw, who is the next person to kind of lead the way? I think the sport got hard to follow to some degree in recent years because there were so many people you had to follow, and maybe people don't have, unless they're really nuts about it, they don't have time to follow. There was so much excellence throughout that sport, you know, and you could, you had all the, I think it's 14 different players win the last 21 slams, I think it is, and, you know, you had. But but then I think the player we to focus on now is is Iga Siantek. I can spell it better than I can say it. <laughs> from um, Poland, she won the French again this year. She's won it twice, and she's a runaway number one at this point. Um, and I think just as far as uh, as you know, she she really is somebody who kind of gave the whole thing form. You know, we this that sport used to have long time ago, Navratilova and Everett at the top, those two, and then Graf and Sellis, and then the Williamses came along, and there's always some definition there, you know, uh, people you could, could kind of follow, and I think she's that. I think, you know, Graf was not her best surface, and she lost in the third round, but I think uh, she, the year that she had the 37-match winning streak that preceded that across six, seven tournaments, I think she's you know, she's the one for me who kind of gives it some form now. 
Chuck Culpepper is our guest with the Washington Post. He's on Twitter at Chuck Culpepper One. It's a good way place to go to see all his stories. All right, so you're talking to us uh, from Scotland, and the Open Championship is a big event uh, that we love following. 150 years worth celebrating what's taken place, and at the old course, I mean, what's it like, Chuck, to to actually get to see a setting like that with your own eyes there in person? That's a great question because I was just walking uh, back back beside it. Uh, from the work area to my room, and it's it, it. I have been here once before, but never to an open here. So it is. It just has this magic look to it that I really can't explain. It's like you can feel the history, feel the years, the birthplace, all that kind of thing. And I think it strikes everybody that way. Just just kind of looking at the contour of it as I walked along. It was sun was still out and. Just thinking, my goodness, I can almost feel the centuries, you know, <laughs> and so, and and so the fact that it's one fifty this time is a huge, huge deal here, and that number is everywhere. It's on T-shirts, it's painted into the seats in the stands, it's on signs. It's it's just it's such a big, important deal here that it's a, that it's the hundred and fifty year mark. You feel that everywhere. Yeah, I mean the the entire logo has been kind of rebranded with that one fifty, and obviously a big trophy being played for at the end of the week. And, and we see Tiger Woods is getting to be a part of competition uh, and and making some comments about current state of golf as it's going with some other upstart tours taking place. We we've talked a lot about the Live Tour, the LIV Tour, uh, and, and, and Tiger Woods got to speak publicly about that as well chuck fill us in yeah i think to to me sitting in that room this morning i thought he sounded more like a golf statesman than he ever has i thought you know he's 46 now he has a view he has experience he's earned his his words and all of that and and just the calm way that he stated his case and it was critical of Norman of and of the players who and he said he just still does not understand the players who've gone over to the LIV tour and he so he I just thought he sounded it, there was you know when when it really started to, when that tour the Saudi tour really started to uh, to gain ground was at the U.S. Open last month that was when we were starting to hear about more and more players going and uh, the U.S. Open of course lacked. Tiger's voice because he wasn't in it. And I don't think it would have changed anything, but listening today made me think of of how uh, maybe the U.S. Open setting uh, could have benefited from having his voice there. Players like John Rahm and Rory McIlroy were certainly uh, eloquent and, and insightful in, in saying why they're not going to leave. Um, but I just think Tiger's voice the gravitas or whatever where we want to call it just added something today it really did and, and Chuck I do want to ask you another t- Tiger question in just a second but I want to stay on the LIV tour for, for now and like this it's, it's such a weird situation with golf right now because everyone has always followed and loved Tiger here for the last two decades plus he's been the most influential influential golfer probably of all time um, but you now have this secondary competitor uh, that seems to be clouding the sport a little bit. Like, where is the sport of golf right now? Is it in a healthy state, or or, or what needs to happen to start to get it back into a healthier state? 
he thinks it's in a really healthy state because he thinks that the young people coming up are just so, so good. And that's true if you look at players like Zalatoris, you know. Um, they're good at younger ages. I have thought that it's a, I, that it's in some kind of state that I would worry about in that I just, when I'm out at the, and I go, when, you know, at the tournaments, major tournament, I was thinking the one in Tulsa this year, the PGA, and just sometimes I just stand among the crowd, and I just don't think there are enough players who are, that the public really recognizes, you know, again, except as we were saying with tennis, except for the, the real nuts. And I think about that excellent beer commercial that's Peyton Manning in the bowling alley, you know, and it's got Jimmy Butler, it's got yeah. Alex Morgan, and Brooks Kepka is in there. And I, when I watch that commercial, I always think, that's one of the best golfers we've ever had, and I'm not really sure what would the percentage of the public who who knows who that is over there at the pool table in the in the bowling alley, you know, um, how many how many people in the public would know who that is? And I, I just have worried that you know, and part of it was Tiger's fame, so recognizable. Jack and Arnie before that, Phil Mickelson to some degree, more limited than those others. But I just think, I, I thought it was really entering this phase where, again, like like I was saying, the women's tennis, so many players to follow, so many guys who can win, so many different major winners. And I think from a general public standpoint, that can be, you know, kind of, Kind of hard to follow. I don't know how that would affect a game long term. So I, ha- I have, I have wondered about that. If, if, if the stars are big enough, you know, I've won- I have wondered about that. Sure. And, and so to, to ask you more uh, again, another Tiger question. Um, you know, this guy obviously we we know the credentials, but we also know the last decade plus marred with all kinds of issues on and off the course with a body yeah. that's just beaten up at this point at age 46. Like, I understand why he's doing it this year. He 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 obviously wants to come back. He uh, has this in, insatiable drive to him and, and wanting to play this tournament too and, and the history at St. Andrews is, is obvious. But like, assuming no more major injuries to the degree we saw in the car incident or an ACL or that sort of thing, like how much longer do you think this guy can keep pushing himself to play this sport? Yeah, he likes to say he has hardware in his leg. He uses that, you know, that, that term a lot. Um, I, I think that with the schedule that he has, which is, you know, not going to be uh, very extensive, and just the, just the majors, and of course, he just adores this place. He wasn't going to miss this one if if at all possible. So, um, I I could see him going into his fifties. And today, today he broached by this topic. That he's just talking about how Tom Watson, uh, you know, came to the seventy second hole at the two thousand nine Open in Turnberry and was leading by one shot when he got there. You know, at age fifty nine, and, and I noticed that. Tiger brought that up, and I was thinking, well, that's that is how he thinks, you know. Now, how realistic is that going to be? Fifty-nine seems a little extreme to me, but I think I get a sense he does think that if he got to one of these courses like Augusta or this one that he understands so well in his bones, and if he said that the fairways are so firm here that the old guys can 
you know, can bump and run. They can, you know, get more distance out of it, you know. Um, I, I'm going to say that it's not going to surprise me to see five or ten more years because if his body had been, um, you know, intact and not have hardware in it and so on, I think he was going to be that player who was going to uh, extend the career, the, our perception of the career of golfers, you know, all the things that he had, all the care that he had taken of himself and so on. I thought before all this happened that, you know, that this guy, Nicholas, once finished fifth in the Masters at age 58. I thought that was going to be this guy, maybe even at 60. Who knows? I don't think that anymore because it's too much on the body, as you say. But it, it's not going to surprise me to see another five or 10 years. Chuck Culpepper is our guest here today on Sports Call. Chuck writes for the Washington Post, and you can follow his work on Twitter at Chuck Culpepper One. Let's let you get out of here with this. It's it's getting to be bedtime there in Scotland, and again, the time is always so greatly appreciated. Who are some of the favorites to watch this week as the Open Championship uh, opens up play coming Thursday? I think I I always think well, Colin Morikawa won it last year. Um, is incredible. He's played it only once, and he won it. Um, and so, uh, I. but I'm not, I guess a lot of us aren't really looking at him this time because, as a potential winner, because he hasn't been in this great form. He's been confused about cuts and draws, and he talks about that a lot. So I, I just, I bring up John Rahm sometimes. I bring up Xander Shofley because I think... Um, that guy, you know, we all know he's he's been like on TV on Sunday in majors all the time for right. five years now, and and you would think he's going to win one somewhere. And just won the Scottish Open here, always a good sign. Um, that's the one that I would look at m- most closely. And I'm, I think a lot of people think highly of him as a person too. And <clears throat> I was there when he won the Olympics in Tokyo. And it was an emotional thing, and uh, that's that's my pick. Love it. Love it. We'll be following and reading your work the whole time. Chuck, thank you so much again. It means a lot that uh, anytime you're on the program, but even more so today uh, when you're all the way across the pond, as they say there in Scotland. Thanks for joining us on the show, Chuck. Thanks so much for having me. Is it really true that football media days are next week? Next week, yeah. Next week. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, I'm over here. I've been over here a long time. I heard that USC and UCLA went to the Big Ten, but I know that's not true. That was something lost that went in the, over the ocean, right? <laughs> yeah, you're going to get back, and it's going to be a whole new college athletics world that we'll be able to chat with you and, uh, when your feet get back settled. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank Absolutely. You so Thank you. That's our good buddy, Chuck Culpepper with the Washington Post. I, I cannot say enough kind things about that man for joining us on the program. Really enjoyed our conversations, uh, all of his perspective and columns that he puts out there. Great insight on not only college athletics. I mean, that guy will tell you everything you need to know about Nick Saban and a sport that we talk about all the time in college football. But how about the depth and knowledge for tennis and golf and the conversation that we just had? Yeah, no, I love people like that because we're so used to people that, just like anything, you have a concentration. You know, you have a particular sport or just a medium that you 
kind of major in but um you know i'm someone that i mean you guys know i watch just about everything um if it's you know a big tournament you know i might not watch the madrid open in tennis but i'm watching all the majors and certainly with golf i i it's on in the in the you know in the station a lot a lot of the time and um, watch all the majors there and always keeping up with tiger and stuff so it's something you know i personally follow just about everything and so it's good to see you know chuck in the same interview we talk tennis we just talk go- yeah. golf but we also like hey you know football yeah, next week exactly unbelievable you know so um you know chuck's great that was a that was an enjoyable conversation if you missed it if you just somehow turned on the radio in the last 90 seconds and you missed our chat with Chuck Culpepper or listening to us on the Tiger Communications app, that's going to be available on our Sports Call podcast a little bit later today. You can find that wherever you get your podcast. In the next hour of our show, we will hear from Tiger Woods himself talking about the LIV Golf Tour and talking about what's to come, the future of the sport, and more. Just heard about some of the favorites there from Chuck Culpepper and a good bit of love. We made our picks in our Sports Call Monthly Predictions. We turned them in before the start of July. Uh, but uh, Xander Shoffley getting some love and talking about the fact he had just won the Scottish Open at the old course would be reason enough to kind of carry over that momentum. But, man, talking about the state of golf and all the youngsters that are out there, I mean, it's unbelievable the talent in the sport across the board. He mentioned Brooks Kepka being in the commercial. And Brooks Kepka, you look at the odds – He's all the way down there, it feels like. There are so many names that have kind of leapfrogged a giant who has already four major championships in his golf playing career. Like, I'm excited for the Open to see who can add another major championship uh, to their mantle, to their trophy display. Yeah, there's a good – there's a lot of quality players. Like, like the sport is not without talent. It's not a bunch of guys who are just, like, hitting it all over the yard and water this. And, like, these guys – like, think about how, how golf courses have had to change the last couple decades. And, like, this could illustrate why people are so, so good now. Now, granted, part of it is the equipment. The equipment's yeah. better. Okay, it's not all players. But – you have 600-yard holes that people hit in two. It gets the green in two. You know, like, like you guys hitting averaging. Like, you used to – Tiger would average over 300 yards a drive, and he'd be number one in the field <laughs> 20 years ago. Now he averages about the same, even in his broken state, or maybe in the 280s, and, it, and it's like middle of the pack or, or even below average. You know, and it's like – it's just like all these guys are hitting 300 yards out there. So you've had to lengthen golf courses 40, 50, 60 yards a hole. And – like uh, unless there's a bunch of water or just like unbelievably hard conditions like you just can't get the ball to stop these guys shoot five under every round you have to <laughs> yeah. you, like just go look at the winning scores of all these normal tournaments and they're all like 16 18 20 under parts 25 under i've seen some oh, like around 25 under it's like that means if you shoot six under you got to shoot six under every round to win, and, yeah. and that's how that's how good these guys are now. So the quality is there, but to Chuck's point, someone's got to emerge, someone's got to be recognizable, somebody's got to just be marketable. Because you know, as he point, I, I know that commercial he was talking about with Brooks Kepka in it, but like 
most people that don't follow the sport, like, who's this random dude in there? <laughs> I, I like I recognize all these basketball and football guys, but like, is this guy like a? Yeah, so do we like know a, him? Does he work for the company? Yeah. Or whatever? You know, it's just like, so there needs to be somebody. It, look, finding someone as great as Tiger is going to be very difficult. I don't think that will happen for a very, very, very long time or even close. But you have to find someone that can at least be really marketable for people to follow. Thanks again to Chuck Culpepper for stopping by and joining our radio show. If you want to be a part of the program, you could call us on the Auburn Bank phone line. We still got to celebrate some birthdays in sports and uh, handle a couple of other things here on this Tuesday edition of Sports Call. Alongside Brooks Childress and Ryan LaVoy, my name is JJ Jackson. One hour in the books and we're rolling. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call starts right now. Tiger 95.9 FM on the Tiger Communications app. JJ Jackson inside the studio with Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress on this Tuesday. A good first hour of the show with phone calls and a chat with Chuck Culpepper of the Washington Post. Coming up at 4.30, Zach Blackerby, the host of Locked On Auburn, will be a part of Sports Call. So that is coming our way here in about half an hour or so. All right, as we move forward, also keep in mind the Braves are back in action tonight. They've got a big series. Currently, they're taking on the New York Mets right now, and the Mets won last night's game by a score of 4-1. to one. Moments ago, Brian Snitker met with reporters and announced that the Braves' plan moving forward will be to use Orlando Arcia against left-handed pitchers, Robinson Cano against right-handed pitchers as the Braves await the return of an all-star second baseman, Ozzie Albies, who's out right now. Little surprised by that just because uh, Arcia has done a competent job and to imply that means Cano is going to be the primary second baseman. I mean, if you play 162 games, you're probably seeing 50 left-handers and 110 right-handers, something like that. It's probably a two-to-one ratio. Um, and, and say I all- wish so badly that I just had this crazy stat brain with <laughs> all of the numbers in my mind to tell you how accurate that assumption right. was because that's that's a crazy thought it's, to think know, about. It's just yeah. a feel thing there, but it, I mean, you look at I mean, just just go through the major league rotations and you probably see at you know most rotations three or four right-handers right handers and then one or two left handers. Right. Um, bullpen guys probably similar. I feel like we see we're seeing more lefties, but because they're just so valued. But anyway. Um, you know, so if Albies misses, let's say he comes back, 
end of August, first of July. Let's or excuse not not July. First end of August, first of September, and misses about fifty more games. Cano's probably pe- playing if he can you know hit and not get DFA'd or something or another acquisitions made. He's probably playing thirty to thirty five at those fifty, and RC is probably playing fifteen to twenty now. Um, RC has done a really good job defensively. I mean, I feel like he's gotten everything. He's got a huge arm. He, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, for for those that remember, he he's got an Andrelton Simmons arm. I mean, it's it's a cannon. Um, you know, Cano does not have that defensively at his age anymore. But they're hoping that you see the Cano that got two hits last night and hit over 300 in AAA the last month. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that works out. You're just trying to buy the time until you can get all, all these back. But uh, as I said, you know, Cano, although he is past his prime, he was a wonderful hitter for a lot of years. So you hope he can just summon a month or two of that again. You know what the Braves lost last night? For the first time in his professional career, Michael Harris II batted somewhere that wasn't ninth, ninth. Uh-huh. in the order. As they put Cano uh, ninth and uh, moved him up a spot. (laughs) I think Harris will be going back to ninth. Harris has been sensational and uh, doing it out of the ninth spot in the order, uh, which is cool to see now that we're in a league where there are no pitchers batting. Both leagues uh, now in the CBA have a DH in the lineup, and so Atlanta has really settled on Michael Harris the second in the ninth spot in the order. And since you've been on the show, Ryan, Drew Waters has been traded away. Right. The Braves are going all in with this Michael Harris the second fella. Yeah, there's there's different ways of going all in and one of them is the is the big extension, you know, before you're really have to do it, you know. It's the I play he's you know, you, you avoid the last couple of years of arbitration to buy up a couple of the free agent years, is what they did with the Cunha and Albies, it's what the Rays did uh, last year with Wander Franco. Now there's a second way of going all in, which is a, a, a technically a little less committal because you're not committing as much money, but you're uh, kind of throwing away a resource, which is you commit by getting rid of the other prospect. You know, you've you've pronounced that you believe in Michael Harris, and Harris has been awesome, and Drew Waters has been injury prone and, and starting to struggle. As hot of a pro, like this time last year, Drew Waters was the prospect that everyone now sees Michael Harris as. And look, it, the the reality is, you just never really know. Because if you go through the history draft, there's number one overall picks that never ended up being any good. Right. It's just like any other sport. And and sometimes it's even more severe in this sport because some of those guys, they don't even make the major leagues. There was one dude that we were going through this uh, at, at a local sports bar with Christian Page. And we saw a couple guys drafted up there that just ne- flat out just never even made the major leagues, let alone were just not good in them. I remember that day. And, yeah. and so it's it's a it's a different animal. And, and you assume that these prospects are so coveted and, and people just get filled with hope and wonder on the ceilings of what this guy, what these guys can be. But sometimes injuries happen. Sometimes you're just not that good. Like, it's unfortunate. And again, it's still so early to say that, you know, maybe there's a scenario where it works out. But it's like, you asked me today, right now, 
is Christian Pache going to make it? My answer is no. Yeah. He is not going to make it. He cannot hit. Um, and, and he is hit. I think he hit like 160 something with Oakland. I don't know if he's hurt or if he got benched or he's sitting down, but I checked their box scores the last couple weeks. He is not in that lineup anymore. I don't know if he's, like I said, hurt, sitting down, whatever. But he's hit 160 something this year. Chris, I don't think Christian Pache is going to make it. As sure of a bet of a prospect he looked to be two years ago. So it, it happens fast. And when you see someone like Michael Harris, have such a blistering start, you immediately know it's in there. Yeah, He's going to have some struggles because every young player does. He might go down and hit 240 ultimately this year. But you just know from this month that it's in there. Uh, it's kind of like Austin Riley. Yeah. Uh, uh, like Austin Riley for the first there month or two. There were some frustrating times. Well, sure, yeah. But I'm saying the first month or two, Austin Riley's awesome. Right? I mean, he's hitting home runs. Yeah. And it was, this guy's going to be legit. And then there was about a year where it looked like, I don't know, he's going to be a big league player, but I don't know if he's going to be an all-star. And now he's an MVP caliber player at third base. I mean, I know he missed the all-star game, or for at least for now has. But he's Is he like, an all-star snub? Yes. Yes. Uh, but also, though, there's more all-stars than spots. When you when you when you mandate, the, you got me a whole. Do you want me to go down this topic? Go for it. There's a. I mean, I've got a variety of things to discuss. Uh-huh. So we're just getting started. There's a whole uh, faction. Freddie Freeman is not an all star, and he should be. He's an all star yeah. caliber player. There is a whole faction of players that are eliminated from making the all star team when you mandate that every team gets an all star. It's just the reality of it because. I'm not exactly sure, and maybe you can make me look foolish here. Name me a player on the Pirates that deserves to be an All-Star. Is it Cabrian Hayes? Maybe I, I like. I'm I'm just saying. Like I don't know who in actuality has had a good enough season on the Pirates to be an All-Star. That's true. Off the top of my head, because there were some really bad years. For the Braves, uh-huh. where it was like, well, at least there will be one Atlanta yeah. Brave introduced when they do line up. And I'm not like, this is not like an argumentative exercise. There's plenty of things that I will yell at Rob Manfred for and yell at Major League Baseball for. This is actually not one of them because every team's fan base can have a little interest. Yeah. Even the Royals fans and it's can still, have a little interest. The Braves had five All Stars. Yeah. No, and like, the all-star is an exhibition if you told people Contreras is going to be an all-star and austin riley isn't yeah that wouldn't line up "Hmm." wouldn't line up star is going to be an all-star and austin riley isn't right i mean like we were talking about a little bit last week it's like it was just foolish that adam duvall was a was a finalist i mean let's just say it like it is there's (laughs) there's no world where adam duvall has played like an all-star this year um and so it's a fan thing. Um, and look, plenty of the players there deserve it. There's very few that don't. There's probably only one handful tops. And it's again, those it's to satisfy the requirement of every team getting one. Like I give you an example of one that deserved to, but he probably got in just because his team needed one. You know, I was talking about this guy too. It's CJ Crone of the Rockies. Yeah. 
And I don't know if the fans were going to vote him in or not um, because he plays for Colorado, and Colorado is not particularly good, and they're not watched a lot. But C.J. Crone is one of the league leaders, like major league leaders in RBIs, and he has over 20 home runs, and he's hitting like 290. That's an all-star first baseman. You know, but 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 because of the fan vote, he he there was a chance, there was a world where he didn't get in. Um, I'm trying to think. I I know that Arenado is a deserving and b one of the third baseman over Riley. I can't think of the of the other. If that's you what know, I'm trying off, to think of as well. Of that's why I asked. Isn't Cabrian Hayes a third baseman? Is it possible that's Cabrian Hayes? Um, you know, like again, some of it is just simply done because you have to have someone on each team and again i don't think it's a bad rule but it's also why you can't say in the in the scope of you know legacies or in people's careers you know all stars mean so much like this is the only qualifier of who's had a good season or or who's a great player. Because I'll tell you another side of this. There's guys that will make this all-star team that look like all-stars right now and are all-stars right now that will have awful second halves. No, I mean, they'll just they'll just look nothing like an all-star That's player baseball. in the final 70 games of the season. Absolutely, because it's baseball. And there's so many of them. And it's hard. And there's just so many games. So, you know, I don't worry too much about the snubs. Austin Riley, did he play? all-star caliber baseball this season so far absolutely but i don't get too bent out of shape about it because just the dynamic of of how the voting works i have again I, did you find the pirates representative uh, i saw that manny machado starts at third base fair He's and no or not yeah. will be an all-star behind and now i'm searching for our pirates Representative. So, see, those two things are completely fair. I mean, Machado and Arenado have been wonderful. Um, if you would like numbers, Machado, Machado, excuse me, hitting 310, 15 homers, 51 RBIs. That's an all star, period. Uh, no debate there. Nolan Arenado, uh, this season, 292, 17 homers, 55 RBIs. That's 30 homer, 100 RBI pace. He plays a great third base. It's no doubt there. That's an all-star. By the same vein, Austin Riley. I'm just reading this for everybody. This season, he's, he's gotten warm recently. He's up to 282, 24 homers, 57 RBIs. That's, you know, 45 homer, 110 RBI pace. That's absolutely all-star quality. They're all all-star quality. David Bednar is the all-star selection for the Pittsburgh Yikes. Pirates. Listen to this. <laughs> This dude, three and two. He's a relief pitcher. Three and two, a two six three ERA. He's their closer. He's got fifteen saves. That's on pace for 30, 29 saves. It's quality. Man oh man. I'm not sure that's all star. Whatever. I again I good for him. And I think it's good for the game. Even when it's a random relief pitcher, I think it's good for the game when every single team gets to have somebody in the game. I think it's fair. Are you ready for our next topic? We're going to keep jumping around yeah. here uh, here on Sports Call. Again, Zach Blackerby will join the show coming up at 4.30. It's J.J. Ryan and Brooks inside our studios uh, for Sports Call today. Awfully quiet for Brooks Childress so far in this one. Um, Full disclosure, he's not in the studio. Yeah, he's handling yeah, company, company business. Company business, yeah. Um, all right, so 
But we'll talk about Brooks's team. How about that? Okay. I got some news. He can't defend himself if it's bad. Earlier today, Baker Mayfield was introduced as a member of the Carolina Panthers. He uh-huh. said that he is, in fact, excited for the first game of the season versus the Cleveland Browns, which I, which I respected. His quote was something along the lines of, I'm not going to give you the answer that everyone does, that it's just another game on the schedule. I am excited to play against them. There will be an open competition, according to general manager Scott Fitterer. Uh, Darnold and Baker Mayfield will throw with Panther wide receivers and running backs. Uh, before training camp gets started. That's not the trade I want to talk about. Okay. Moments ago, the Uh Patriots made a trade. Oh, did they? The New England Patriots have traded away Uh Nikhil Harry to the Chicago Bears for a seventh-round pick. Wow. They have wide receivers on their roster. Oh, no. Yeah. I Um, I mean, wow. Well, okay, do you want the semantics of what that really is? Nikhil Harry's no longer Can't, a Patriot is what it is. He's not But there's there. more semantics in the play there. Tell me. It's that the New England Patriots used a first-round pick on Nikhil Harry and, and flipped him for a seventh-round pick three years later. Yeah, that's a good way it's to look at it. It's essentially a first-round pick for a seventh-round pick, if you want to look at it that way. A failed first-round pick. The, the Patriots have been bad at drafting wide receivers here recently. Um, like... I can't stress this enough. Tom Brady doesn't leave them if they have great players around him on offense. It wouldn't have happened. I love the Bucks. I'll go to every single home game that I can this year. They weren't getting him. He wasn't leaving if he had Pro Bowl caliber wide receivers. By the way, that's the worst All-Star game. Uh, the Pro Bowl, the Pro, Bowl <laughs> Pro Bowl caliber players as weaponry. Yeah, Gronkowski was gone. He retired. He got tired of dealing with it. And you had a Julian Edelman that is a legend around Foxborough, but that was a diminished version of Julian Edelman at that point in his career. And obviously he retired one year later. Like, that was not the Julian Edelman that was Pro Bowl caliber anymore. You draft Nikhil Harry, and he didn't work. Was Malcolm Mitchell still on the team when, when Brady left, maybe? I mean, I, you know, no one's no one's overly excited about Malcolm Mitchell. So, that's just been the struggle for the, Patri- the they Patriots. They paid money for two tight ends last year, though. Right. Hunter Henry and... John U. Smith. John U. Smith. They hardly used John yep. Smith. And Hunter Henry was, was decent, but not like... And then they did go to San Francisco and got Kendrick Bourne, but that's not a household wide receiver Again. name to to spend money on. So, I mean, the, the weaponry is is not high. Um, I think probably that's why Mac Jones probably deserves more credit than maybe we gave. I, I think there's always a balancing act. Mac Jones probably deserved a little more credit than he got. Uh, he was not rookie of the year because Jamar Chase was just awesome yeah but but jones had a really respectable start to his career given again you know you got tight ends but you don't have the type of uh, above average weaponry at wide receiver we will talk nfl in the final hour of our show we still got more to accomplish here on sports call today jj jackson alongside ryan lavoy and brooks childress will take a quick timeout, and the show continues in a moment here on tiger 95.9 
Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Here on Sports Call, JJ Jackson and uh, Ryan Lavoy, Brooks Childress on hand, having fun inside our studio. Zach Blackerby set to join the show in a matter of moments. Uh, before we do that, though, we have yet to do this on today's show, and it's important because we do this each and every day. People out there are celebrating birthdays, and they need some love, so let's do it now. It's birthdays in sports. It's time for today's birthdays in sports. All right, birthdays in sports here today, July twelfth, twenty twenty-two. LaShawn McCoy is turning 34 years old. The former NFL running back, nicknamed Shady, selected in the second round of the 2009 NFL Draft by the Philadelphia Eagles out of Pittsburgh. Also played for the Buffalo Bills, Kansas City Chiefs, and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. A two-time Super Bowl champion as a reserve for the Chiefs and the Bucks. Two-time first-team All-Pro, six-time Pro Bowler, 2013 NFL rushing yards leader also led the league in rushing yards in 2011 an outstanding player the Big East offensive player of the year in 2008 when he played for the Pittsburgh Panthers in college football LaShawn McCoy is 34 years old is he the latest guy to get in on like the weird post-professional sport boxing I think he might be I feel like McCoy agreed to fight something like Baron Davis. I don't know. There was there was like a running back running back fight, I feel like. There's just random people fighting each other that were professional athletes in other sports. Maybe. It's just I don't know. I feel like McCoy's one of them. And that's supposed to be my lane. Like I'm supposed to stay in that lane where I identify who those running backs are. And right now I'm failing to do that. Maybe Frank Gore's involved. Frank Gore is involved. I, Frank Gore is fighting somebody, but I don't know who it could be. Jared's with us, too, if, if anybody wants to add uh, some thoughts. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just know that there's an excessive amount of of athletes fighting other athletes that are retired. and I that's, went, not the, that's not the direction I was going to go with LaShawn McCoy. I know. I just I was curious, and he feels like somebody that would be doing that it's uh oh no it's, i'm completely off but again Ad- uh, austin shows me here. adrian peterson adrian, Pe- adrian peterson and Le'Veon bell okay that's what it was yeah like great running backs one had a little shorter career but like great running backs and like we need to do this why yeah <laughs> why? where i was <laughs> Is gonna, this go, gonna be good Lashawn mccoy was so damn good yeah i mean oh my god like when shady was shady for the Eagles? Whew. Yeah. And then, at the end of his career, the guy adds his two Super Bowl rings. Right. So he's got this complete career. It's yeah. sad that at 34 years old today, a running back's career is done. That's but right. that's football. Yeah, I mean, Todd Gurley, Todd Gurley barely made it to 24. 
So I mean, I mean, yeah. I don't, you know, Fair point. Uh, making it past thirty on any roster in the Fair point. NFL now as a running back is actually well above average. It's better, well, better than average. A few more birthdays here, and then again, Zach Blackerby locked on Auburn, and uh, we'll have some NFL talk in the final hour of today's show. Still got to talk to uh, Tiger Woods too. Um, Shake Ultras Alexander is celebrating his birthday. A current guard for the Oklahoma City Thunder, selected 11th overall in the 2018 NBA draft by the Charlotte Hornets out of Kentucky, but traded on draft night to the LA Clippers, a 2019 All Rookie Second Team player, and then traded to the Thunder at Kentucky. He was the SEC Tournament MVP. Shake Ultras Alexander is 24 years old. And then finally, our last birthday today to celebrate, Patrick Beverly. Patrick Beverly is turning 34 years old today. A current point guard for the Utah Jazz. For now. Selected in the second round of the 2009 draft by the Los Angeles Lakers out of Arkansas, but did not choose to be Kobe Bryant's teammate. Chose to instead play overseas for more money. He made his NBA debut a few years later with the Houston Rockets. At Arkansas, he was the 2007 second-team All-SEC player. He is uh, quite entertaining. Patrick Beverly is turning 34 years old today. Entertaining is a word for it. <laughs> yeah. There's a word for it. I like him. I, I think on, he's if fun. If he's on your team, it is. Um, if he's not, then uh, it's antic laden <laughs> yeah. um, my favorite my favorite though that I could at least laugh at and not be mad at was when they beat the Clippers in the play-in and just thought that they had won the NBA championship right that like, was epic like I mean just crying and getting up on the table and I mean just like it was like a come to Jesus mo- moment and again that was for the eight seed or the seven seed <laughs> it's yeah. not even or seven seed. It was like, great, awesome. Go go get beat by someone in the next round. There's our birthdays in sports today for July 12th. LaShawn McCoy, Patrick Beverly, Shea Gilgis, Alexander. Commercial break. We're back with Zach Blackerby right after this on Sports Call. Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you are currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. This is former Auburn football player Danny Skutak, and you are listening to the Abbey Award-winning Sports Call Auburn. Welcome back into the program. You're listening to Sports Call on a Tuesday. Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. Hope everyone's doing well. 
Counting down the days until we'll be in Atlanta next week for SEC Media Days. That means college football season is right around the corner. And boy, are we excited. Boy, are we craving it this time of year. And fall camp is near. We'll have quarterback discussions, I'm sure. And that's exactly what our next guest does all the time. He's the absolute best. He's the host of the Locked On Auburn podcast. If you're not familiar with it, shame on you. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. It's on YouTube. It's absolutely killing it. Watch and listen to the show daily. Zach Blackerby is kind enough to join us moments after the New England Patriots trade Nikhil Harry, and yet he still makes time for us. Good to have you on the show today, Zach. Man, the only thing better than getting Nikhil Harry off of your roster is talking to you, JJ. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, Yeah, a first-round draft pick traded for a seventh-round pick. That's the life of uh, the Patriots' offense these days, I guess, man. Uh, I guess so. No, Nikhil's terrible. So uh, <laughs> I'm really glad that he's gone. I would have been fine giving Nikhil Harry and a seventh-round pick to the Bears. But sure, I'll take a seventh-round <laughs> yeah. pick. That's fine. Yeah, we'll take it. Absolutely. No doubt about that. Uh, so, Zach, let, let's talk Auburn. We, we have media days next week. We've learned today uh, that the Tank Bigsby will be there, as will Derek Hall and John Samuel Shanker. Are you surprised by these selections? No, no, I'm not. I, I'm a little surprised no Owen Patho, just because he was there last year. And I think if you take a guy one year and then don't take him the next year, it may cause some unintended storylines. But I think the three guys that, that are going make a ton of sense. And kind of for different reasons. Um, Tank Bixby, uh, he is the biggest name. He is the biggest brand on your roster. And so I think with just kind of the, the national presence at SEC Media Days, has and just kind of the national attention that it gets every year, um, you want Tank Bigsby on one of those podiums. So I, I think it makes sense. I definitely think that makes sense. Then Derek Hall, you know, I, I think Derek Hall surprised a ton of folks in the NFL draft community when he decided, hey, I'm going to not go pro, but I'm going to spend another year and kind of help Brian Harsin continue what he's doing. Um, that surprised a lot of folks, and it sounds like he's been a really vocal leader on this team this off season. And so, you know, perhaps he can kind of continue his um, solid career for one more season. And then John Samuel Shanker, probably the most outspoken player in favor of Coach Harson during all that crap that was happening several months ago. And also, I mean, he's just been steady. Um, he's improved under Brian Harson, and he just kind of has the mindset that Brian Harson has: keep your nose down and work. And then good things will happen. And that's why he had the best season an Auburn tight end has ever had last year. So all three of those guys make a ton of sense. And I think they'll all represent Auburn well next week. Here's a thought that just came into my mind, because Tank Bigsby will be one of the players uh, that, that's in Atlanta at SEC Media Days. He's going into his third season playing for the Auburn Tigers. And I don't even know how I would answer this question, Zach. So make this response a good one, because I'm going to steal it from you. But if oh, Tank wow. Bigsby were to never play another down for Auburn, recent running backs, say 2000 and beyond, or, or however you want to look at it, how would his two years be remembered so far? Hmm. Wow. Um, I think uh, I think the word would be I, I think a lot of Auburn fans would be underwhelmed by him. I, I think he wasn't used appropriately as a freshman and um, he kind of had a fluke injury his freshman year against Tennessee. And then last year, whether it was, you know, the offensive line being inconsistent in the running game or um, or just, you know, the the overall quality of the offense, I, I think it left a lot to be 
desired. I mean, the fact that it took that much for him to get to just over a thousand yards, I think we all agree Tank Bixby is better than that. Right. So, um, I think a lot of people would walk away and say, "Wow, what what could have been if um, if he had better pieces around him?" So, uh, I guess that's it. I mean, I'm just thinking of recent backs of the last ten years or so, and it's like I don't have the numbers in front of me, but you know, I think Carryon Johnson probably had a better Auburn career. Cam Petway may have, which is actually kind of fascinating and a different discussion altogether. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think there would be a lot of dudes that would be like, well, statistically, these guys are better. But those guys also probably had better offensive lines in front of them. And what's so crazy about all of this is that – about all of this is if you talk about this upcoming college football season and I think if you talk to national people and you start listing running backs, I really do believe you're going to think about Tank Bigsby first. Like he's been made one of these star running backs in the sport. And yet I'm sitting here thinking about uh, it, it does kind of feel like uh, we're a little bit empty. Hand- I don't know. It just doesn't feel like we've had as many big Tank Bigsby moments. And, and hopefully we can get that this year in 2022. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. And, and nationally, he's getting the attention. And really, the Auburn running back room as a whole is getting the attention. Jarquez Hunter has garnered more offseason discussion than I thought he would. I think he's certainly worthy of it. Um, but, you know, outside of the, the kid from Texas, Bajon Robinson, I think is his name. Um, Tank Bixby is probably like the number two guy. A lot of folks like the running back from Syracuse, but who cares? You play at Syracuse. So. Uh, Zach, when you look at uh, forward to media days, uh, obviously the, the last uh, few weeks have been littered with uh, the expansion talks and, and just yeah. the reorgan- reorganization of college football. I saw a report the other day from Saturday Down South that, that said mm-hmm. the SEC seemed content at 16. Uh, what do, I mean, do you like 16? Like, Do you expect uh, any earth-shattering news like we had last SEC media days when we found out that Oklahoma and Texas were headed to the SEC? Yeah, yeah. Well, that first question, do I like 16? I'm a more the merrier kind of guy when it comes to conference realignment. I think the sport makes more sense when you have more schools in fewer conferences. Um, So, yeah, that's the first one. I I think think in a perfect world, you'd somehow find a way to have four conferences, and each conference has like 28 to 30 teams in it. I I think that would be – a really fascinating and cool structure that you could kind of then set, you know, certain standards moving forward. But uh, in regards to what I'm expecting next week, I'm not really expecting a whole lot, guys. And though, you know, all the big bits of conference realignment news that we've gotten so far, Texas, Oklahoma, and then obviously um, USC and UCLA to be more recent, it's just kind of fallen from the sky, right? There's been no rumors or anything beforehand. It's just kind of happened, and it's like, oh, wow. Then there's all these rumors that then come in after that, which none of them have really appeared to be true. Um, I, I'm not expecting anything to happen just because I don't think there's any way to really know. But the fact that this report came out, it wasn't anything official from the SEC, but it was Saturday Down South talking to an anonymous SEC AD, which I think carries weight. Um, offering some, kind of a, a glimpse inside of what the conversations look like, but nothing official from the SEC. It would be fascinating if at media days, you know, Sankey came out and said, nope, we're good. We're good at 16, you know, for the remainder of this year or whatever. I, I think that would be fun. I think that'd be a cool bit of news for them to kind of come out and officially say that. And I'm sure Sankey will be asked that question. Um, but outside of that, guys, no, I'm not really expecting a whole lot next week. 
So far, uh, when we talk about the summer, we're always talking about recruiting. We're looking towards the next year as well. But focusing on recruiting for just a moment, uh, four four-star players in uh, with this next class so far. Obviously, a lot's been made of, of just the sheer numbers being low, but the quality is there. What do you yeah. make so far uh, of what Auburn's doing on the recruiting trail? No, the four guys they've got, they all have a pass the playing time their first two years on the plane, which is – Something you can't say about all of the recruits. So I think that's great, but like you said, the the total number is too low. Um, I mean, you, you got to find a way to get ten to fifteen more of these guys to fill them in with some backups too. But um, you know, there's a guy like Jelani Thurman. You know, the, the talented tight end. He's announcing on Sunday the seventeenth. Uh, it sounds like it's his birthday, and so he kind of wants to ramp that up. And the Big Cat Weekend's coming up towards the end of this month. You may get some commitments. You're going to get a lot of attention on 2024 guys. And so, you know, I think the recruiting's going okay. It's not going as good as it should be at this point. Missing Keldrick Falk was a big deal. The defensive end slash edge from Highland Home, Alabama, that was a big miss. Um, and then Brock Lynn, it seems like they haven't lost him yet, but it seems like they're going to the quarterback. That was um, That's a big one that you, that you wish you could get back as well. So, um, but, yeah, four is not enough. But before you have, yeah, sure, they're, uh, they seem pretty solid. Talk to me about quarterback, Zach. As we go to next week in, in SEC Media Days, the event that will be in Atlanta, we, we've been talking about it for months at this point, what that quarterback mm-hmm. room could be like. You've got Zach Calzada coming in, and TJ Finley's already there, Robbie Ashford making a play. But Auburn hasn't necessarily had the opportunity since spring ball for the coach to talk about the quarterback battle. He's going to be asked a quarterback battle question a lot next week in Atlanta, what do you expect the tone to be? Or, or, or I don't know. How do you see this quarterback battle uh, shaping up as we get set for fall camp? I think it's Zach Calzada or Bus. I think you do just enough to make it a competition, and I do think they'll give a you know a legit shot to T.J. Finley and Robbie Ashford. But I mean, this this coaching staff. I mean, they're collecting information now. You know, they can't directly work with them when there's a football present, but. They're aware of these guys and how often they come in, who they're working out with and all of that. They know. They know who's putting in the most work. And everything that lines up with what Brian Harson said, we talked about it earlier when, with him bringing John Samuel Shaker to media days. It's, it's all about if you're going to put the work in, you're going to be rewarded. And just hearing from players, I mean, it sounds like Zach Calzada's working harder than anybody else. And it sounds like mentally he was doing more of the mental reps than anybody else was in spring when he was kind of limited. And now I think we realize he wasn't as limited as a lot of people thought he was in spring. So um, I I think this is Zach Calzada's job to lose at this point. They're obviously going to have to do more with full speed reps with Zach Calzada there because it does sound like he missed out on some of that. So, um, But, yeah, I I think it's Zach Calzada. As far as how Brian Harshon will handle those questions next week, uh, I think they'll be dismissive. I think it'll be your classic coach speak stuff, you know. We're looking for a guy that can lead our team. We're going to put the best guy out there. It's going to be a competition. Competition makes everybody in the room better. Figuring to hear all of those things. But, um, and I think he's telling the truth when he says that. It's just I don't think we're going to get a whole lot of information about the quarterback. What's coming up the rest of the week on Locked on Auburn, Zach? What can people be on the lookout for? Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow's little War Report Wednesday with Mike G of the War Report. We, we talk about kind of the pros and cons of taking each of these specific players to media days next week. And then we actually go through the entire schedule and give our predictions for each game. And then on Thursday, uh, I actually just got them recording this as well, John Garcia with Sports Illustrated joins the show to talk about everything happening 
in the world of Auburn recruiting, who folks can look at, who's on commitment watch, and who uh, who all uh, you need to be paying attention to a Big Cat weekend. So, um, fun shows ahead for Locked On Auburn. Appreciate the time always, Zach. Good to hear from you. Thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks, guys. Y'all have a good one. All right, that's Zach Blackerby. He is the host of Locked On Auburn, and he's joining us right there on Sports Call. Always appreciate his time and insight. And I don't know, I was just sitting here thinking about Tank Bigsby. He's going to SEC Media Days. He's played two seasons of football for Auburn. He seemed really promising that he was playing so early in his freshman season here for the Tigers. He is coming back. They tried to make transfer portal rumors about the guy, although he never entered the transfer portal. We know that, that he never entered it. And and if he were to never play it down again of Auburn football, how would the guy be remembered? I have no idea. I, I think he would be remembered as just a what could have been. Uh, more than anything, if you were to stop the crew right now. Um, because I think everyone recognizes that this is one of the most talented running backs no Auburn's doubt. ever had. Um, and, and what he displayed in his freshman season, I, I can still see Mississippi State people, or no, excuse me, Arkansas people just flying off of him as it's pouring down rain <laughs> in Jordan-Hare Stadium. I can, I can see just people slipping and sliding trying to tackle him. And the obvious talent that he possessed there, but what we've noted, and I think what everyone has noted about last year's team, the, the, such the weird, weirdly true thing, is that an offensive line that needed work, that had struggled the last couple years under Gus Malzahn, got better in the pass blocking and got worse in the run blocking. And there's there's always just going to be a certain amount of success that you can't find if you don't have a good offensive line. And offensive line is like bullpen in Major League Baseball. It is underappreciated when it's good, and it's too quick to be criticized when it's bad. right? And so I don't think people properly – appreciated the early Malzahn teams that just had dudes just blowing people up For sure. on the offensive line. And how, you know, people don't even think that highly of Cameron Artis Payne, for instance. The dude ran for one of the highest rush totals in league history. Not, not Auburn history, SEC history. And he did it because the offensive line was tremendous. Yeah, Cap was good. But the offensive line was tremendous. And, of course, it was in 13 as well. I think you're able to think easier about Cap than Tank Bigsby so far. What do you mean by that? Just that when I'm thinking of the guys. Are you talking just like success? Right. Pure success? Sure. Sure. I I mean, again, I think that talent-wise, no one would put Cap above there. But, like, in what you got out of that player, just from a pure statistical standpoint, Sure. Because, again, Cap had an incredible season. I think he had 1,600 rush yards, something like that, 1,700. And you just wouldn't have thought that because I can still tell you, and I I sat in the student section and take this with a grain of salt, I could still see plays from behind where it just didn't look like he went in the right space. He got seven yards, but it's like this this hole over here looks like, you know, the cap, cap plus his backup plus the third <laughs> string could have gotten through it all in locking arms. Yeah. Um, and so, again, I think that while Tank was disappointing last year, I think 
a lot of it is just going to have to be the improvement of the offensive line, the improvement of the scheme, the improvement of the fit. And again, I don't want to say crush the offensive line. I think it did some improved things last year, but it was mainly in the passing game. And for what Brian Harson's wanting to do, look, when you want to be balanced, balance is kind of like balance is always great in theory. But the problem with balance is you need to be pretty decent at everything. Like you got to have a quarterback that can that can throw it a little bit. You you've got to have wide receivers that can get open, that can run good routes, make good plays. You've got to have running backs that are talented. You've got to have an offensive line that can protect that passer and open run. Like you just got to do everything you got a lot pretty to do. well. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Let's take a phone call. 334-887-3401 or toll free at one 9 to be a part of the program. Let's go to Mobile. Felix has called in from Mobile. And uh, Felix is now with us here on the show. What's up, Felix? Felix, you with us? I think we'll try to reconnect with Felix there as uh, he was giving us a call from Mobile and uh, always fun to hear from him and and talk Auburn football-related topics and more. Appreciate folks that aren't necessarily in our uh, Lee County listening area but are listening on the Tiger Communications app or however uh, get to be a part of the program and talk with us. So we'll try to reconnect with Felix there on the show. We had a caller yesterday from Panama City Beach, which was really exciting. So anytime we're expanding the sports call reach is a lot of fun and busy weeks for our program are always at sec media days and once again we're going to get to be back at radio row next week in atlanta this time from a different location however but nonetheless still excited oh yeah and the first time they were in atlanta we were all in atlanta was the first time that the sec had put on media days in atlanta and there was some uh, disorganized chaos going on. Um, Radio Row was in the hotel, which was decidedly not the College Football Hall of Fame, where everybody, you know, where TV is, where Fine Bomb sets up, where everyone goes to the main stage. It was a good, I don't know, four or five minute walk. And it doesn't sound that bad, you know, if you do it once or twice, but like, to leave what you're doing on Radio Row and to make a five-minute walk three or four times a day, I was getting my steps in. Yeah, you, know, you are. Going to the main stuff. Um, but for you, Brooks, and I, it was our first time Right. We anywhere. didn't know how it was supposed to be. And, and, and so now we've got these experiences to compare it kind to. Of the, the point was is that they logistically weren't as efficient as Birmingham, because Birmingham's hosted for 30 years. I mean, they've hosted really the whole time it had been happening. And so... Um, they moved it to the college football hall of fame uh radio row that is this this year and i think that cuts down a little bit on space it's not going to be like they had us in a very large operating room but um it will put us right there with the main stage and i think that's a good thing and yeah i think it will be run a little bit more efficiently this year we're on the second floor right and it seems like all the festivities are going to be on the first floor right Whereas in Birmingham, we've been on the first floor, uh-huh. and many festivities have been up on the second floor. Yep. 
So we'll go down this time as opposed to up. Not that that matters, but hey, you know, you just, you, you love those little comparisons. Like yeah. that. You're just like, you know, you know, the first three times K won a national championship at Duke. You know, my favorite color, or or you know, like I don't know, something. The sky was green. I like to but highlight then, where like, the cities of the Final Four were yeah, and where yeah, their first round yeah. stops were, and yeah. You're right. You love stuff like it's that. It's just but, little details that I appreciate. But that, I mean, that is a factual thing that you just said. Yeah. We will be on the second floor. Will the noise project up? Will you <laughs> yeah. like? Will you have to even get out of Radio Row to hear? You know, Nick Saban. It's a question that just needs to ba- be answered. Just, just blast the media who tries to ask him about Jimbo Foot Fisher for the fifth time. Are we going to get rained out tonight for the Thunder Chickens? Uh, I'm going to plead the fifth. Okay. We'll figure it out Last later. Last time I said we wouldn't. Yeah. We were Please great. Please don't say anything. I don't know and why I asked. the time before that, we were not good. I don't so. know why I asked. Uh, we have reached the end of the second hour of Sports Call here today. One hour left to go. Alongside Brooks Childress and Ryan LaVoy, my name is JJ Jackson. Two hours of the Bucks, and we're rolling. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call getting started right now on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. JJ Jackson here with you. It's been a fun show so far. We've had the opportunity to chat on today's program with our friend Chuck Culpepper of the Washington Post. And moments ago, we spoke with Zach Blackerby, the host of the Locked on Auburn podcast. Really enjoyed that conversation. And uh, your phone calls are always welcome here on Sports Call 334-887-3401 or toll free at one triple eight nine tiger 9 JJ Jackson and Brooks Childress from here inside our studios as we take this opportunity to go to our phone lines right now and joining us on the show is Matt from Tallahassee. Matt has called into the show. Hi Matt. What's up JJ? Hey buddy. Hey did, uh, did Brent give you the message I told him to give you? He did yes and I haven't got a chance you haven't received the address yet because I haven't got a chance to send it to you. It'll probably take me a few days to send it over your way okay? Because I, yeah I told him mom you going to send it to me but uh, it's going to take me a few days. Okay. So, hey, what's up, Brooke? What's up, man? What's up, man? Hey, I, hey, I, I saw the uh, the uh, Big Cat Weekend. I saw the offense. A uh, lineman is uh, he's liking the visit so far for uh, Auburn. 
Yeah, Big Count Weekend's going to be at the end of the month, so we're hoping to uh, to get a couple of commits out of that. We heard just a moment ago there's a tight end announcing his decision come Sunday, uh, which is pretty exciting. So, yeah, we've got a lot of uh, recruiting news that could be uh, here on the horizon for Auburn football. Yeah, we need some. We need some more tight ends. Like I said, we we got we got a few, but we need we just need some tight ends and some like uh, offensive linemen. We, we're good on defense, uh, defensive line, cornerback, safeties. We just need some like an offensive line. If we have it, if we have it, can have a good offensive line like we did in 2010. Yeah, we can win some. We can win a lot of games, more than seven games. Um, I'm hoping. So, uh, hey, uh, Brooke, why, yesterday when I was called, um, I was uh, I was uh, talking to to Cam uh, and Brent yesterday, and they were saying that Aubrey can win like seven games, but uh, do you think Aubrey can win probably more than that for Harkin Kevin's job? Uh, for Harson to keep his job, I think you know seven wins is is probably the the bottom. So you have you have to show improvement on that. So seven wins plus how you played in those uh, five losses, I think is uh, is probably going to be the benchmark for. Where obviously, you want more than that. Um, if you have a repeat of last year where you, you got some games that you're supposed to win and you struggle in there, I, I don't know you know what that that shows. But I, I think seven wins is probably a very very good benchmark uh, right there at the bottom for Harson to uh, to. Keep Keep his job. So, so, what do you guys think about the first game Auburn plays against Mercer? When's like? When's it like? I just want to like know when we played Mercer last time and what year was it? Then I'll probably do some trivia. Uh, last time Auburn played Mercer, I believe it was that 2017 season. Correct. Uh, and they won 21-14 was the final score of that one. Jarrett Stidham was the quarterback of the Auburn Tigers, and they played at Jordan-Hare Stadium. And, uh, or 20, it was either 21 or 28-14, to 14, uh, whoever won that game. 24-10. Thank you, okay. Jared, for, for whispering that in my ear. 24-10, Auburn uh, sweated that one out against uh, Mercer. Jarrett Stidham was a quarterback, and so that was back in 2017. Had a good number time. of turnovers in that yeah. game, and yet still Mercer never really got into it, so they were able to, uh, to win. What do you guys think about the, uh, the, the coach that we got from um, the Cowboys? He's going to be the... Uh, a general manager for the program and, and do a lot. Yeah, I think it's a big news, a, a big get for Auburn. I think it's uh, pretty awesome that you're always able to uh, bring new people into the Auburn family and to bring somebody in that's got that NFL uh, experience. And so, yeah, I think it's a, a great move here by Brian Harson. Yeah. Uh, uh, is there a time I can do some trivia, like some NBA or college or? Yeah, well, uh, what, what kind of trivia do you want? Uh, how about I do a few movie and some baseball? Okay, we'll maybe. do for our next major baseball, and we'll do some MLB trivia for you the next time you call in. Okay. Okay. We'll have some MLB trivia for you the next time you call in. All right, uh, we got to let you go, but we'll do the cheer before we get you out of here. Five, four, three, two, one. Whoa, Eagle! Hey. Beat Bama 48, 45, 63, 13. Booyah! Bama, we're coming to your field to knock you out of the SEC and national championship. We're going to say bye-bye, Saban. Bye-bye, Saban. All right, buddy. Good to hear from you, Matt. Hey, 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 Brooke. Yeah. You're on a show today, so you you don't owe us money today. Awesome, awesome. 
All Maybe right. Maybe you should go to the bank for the last time you were on our show. I'll, I'll have to get that to you. All right. We'll talk to you soon, Matt. Thanks for the call today. Bye, buddy. All right. War Eagle. That's Matt from Tallahassee joining us there on Sports Call. All right. As uh, we're here inside our studios on South College Street awaiting um, the end of the show here, and we'll see whether or not we get to play some Thunder Chickens a little bit later in the program. And and, uh, and and a little bit later in the evening, not in the program. I don't know. <laughs> Live stream. I don't know what I was saying there in that moment. But uh, yeah, I don't yeah. think we can. Uh, some of the words that are said, I don't think we can broadcast the Thunder Chickens game. Right. There is some frustration that takes place from time to time, and so uh, Brooks, that is probably wise that we don't do that. What I want to do. Um, is, uh, again, reiterate that we had an amazing conversation earlier with Chuck Culpepper of the Washington Post. We've got some Tiger Woods sound. We might save that for tomorrow's program as uh, we're still a few days away from the British Open taking place. But, for Brooks, how are you? I'm great. Okay, good. I'm doing fantastic. Um, I guess this is the first time I've been on the show this week. So I had a good weekend. Uh, got to go to a uh, go to our friend James from Montgomery's Neck of the Woods Friday night. Went to the Montgomery uh, Kimchi game. They're the Montgomery Biscuits. But for the uh, Friday night, they were doing Korean Heritage Night. So they changed themselves into the Montgomery Kimchi for the night. And so really, really fun. Unfortunately, they, they didn't lose, but still had a fun time at the ballpark. And uh rest of the weekend was pretty relaxing didn't do a lot over the weekend watched a lot of sports and uh yeah it, it was fun and then uh been busy this week here at work so haven't been on you know wasn't on yesterday i'm not on haven't been on uh most of today but uh y'all had some really good interviews and uh i've listened to some of those and uh it, it was it's been a really fun show the last few days we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna take our next commercial break here on the program on the other side of this timeout espn released their top 10 quarterbacks for the upcoming 2022 season a lot of conversation about that list being put together we'll have jared dillard join us as well we'll talk some nfl football and uh, more coming up here on Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. This is Sports Call. of the biggest names in the sports world want to be on Sports Call. We are very excited to be joined by ESPN's Adam Amin. Bring on a very special guest, a good friend of the program, a former host of this very show, and the current voice of the Auburn Tigers, the one and only Andy Burcham. We get the opportunity to welcome in Mr. Phil Steele into our program. Be sure to listen to our conversations with athletes, coaches, and media personalities on the Sports Call podcast. Now back to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite Sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome back into the program. It's Sports Call, Tiger 95.9 FM. JJ Jackson inside the studio. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Thunder Chickens head coach, uh, Jared Dillard, also an Auburn High School instructor. Use Auburn High School instructor before Thunder Chickens head coach. Fuck one up. of those I'm proud of. Sorry. Yeah. Well, one is more pertinent to the program currently. True. 
Don't you think? I don't know. It's a radio show. You're a media instructor. I don't know. Yeah, great. You know. Yeah, but what's um, today? Great. Maybe on Thursday. But right. today is but the But Tuesday day. is a Thunder Chickens Day. Cluck up. And so, yeah. <laughs> well, look at the weather. May not be for long. We'll see. We'll I'll see. see. I'll see you in NASCAR Positivity. Heat <laughs> 50 Already setting up the evening. I love it. Um, yeah, so we'll see. Once I get a phone call, obviously I'll spread the word. But as of right now, the show must go on and the games must be played. Um not the most ideal setup with it being the 6.30, 8.30 week, but this is way too much conversation already. All right. ESPN put out their top 10 quarterbacks list. Uh, Jeremy Fowler produced the story. And it was uh, what's so interesting. They've been doing this for a couple of years now where they survey more than 50 league executives, coaches, scouts, and players to help them stack the top 10 players in 11 different positions from edge rusher to interior offensive lineman and so much more. So uh, yesterday they were able to focus on the quarterback spot and let's run through it okay number one is Aaron Rodgers again from 50 plus executives coaches scouts and players around the NFL the number one quarterback Aaron Rodgers number two Patrick Mahomes number three Josh Allen number four Tom Brady number five Joe Burrow number six Matthew Stafford number seven Justin Herbert number eight Russell Wilson number nine Deshaun Watson number 10 Dak Prescott and then three honorable mentions Lamar Jackson, Derek Carr, Kyler Murray. Anybody have some opening thoughts on uh, the quarterbacks just mentioned, just heard right there? Do we want to touch number nine? Number nine. Was Dak Prescott? No. Was Deshaun, oh, Watson Deshaun Watson for the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Others I mean, don't want to touch Deshaun Watson anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. So... Um, the biggest omission here to break the elephant in the room is Lamar Jackson. 100%. I'm trying to figure out for sure who I want out of there, but I feel like Lamar's got to be in there. I'm not one of those guys that's like only looks at one part of the position. Is Lamar Jackson a top 10 passer of the football in the NFL? That I would lean towards no. But that is not all that he does. And the running part of this of his aspect is very important and very good. I mean, he is the best runner in the league. So, therefore, it is a part of how you played the position. I mean, it, you know, this is, not, this is not 1968 when you're just, like, chucking the ball up in the air at, like, a 54% completion percentage and getting the Hall of Fame. And so there's a lot of, of stuff to the position. And Lamar's running has to be accounted for. So I'm going to need to pull up the list in front of me or else I'm going to have to be reminded of it too often. I'm going to send this to you. I'm going to make sure that everyone has a a look at this. Brooks, what were your first thoughts? Um, I was trying to make sure that I got this this fact correct. Um, I would put in – I I do like putting in um, Lamar Jackson. I don't know who I would take out. Um, I would also – put in um Derek Carr I, I think he's a really good quarterback I was looking uh he has 30 game winning drives 24 fourth quarter comebacks which I believe is the most in the National Football League since he joined the league in 2014 
I mean, it, you you talk about a quarterback that can lead your team. I, I mean, I've I've always been on the Derek Carr boat. I, I like Derek Carr as a quarterback. You, you look what he did last year. You know, not obviously you can't take one year out of it. You know, and just say he deserves to be in top ten for this one year. But out of you know everything he's done last year. That shipwreck of an organization that was the Oakland Ath- or uh, Oakland Athletics—they are <laughs> I mean, a shipwreck. Yeah, of an organization. yeah no, you're, you're right. The the Las Vegas Raiders—he took them to a playoff spot last year. I mean, it, it's um, you know he, he did great work. I would put Lamar Jackson in there. I'd put Derek Carr in there. Who would you take out? You see, first thought I'd take Der- Dak Prescott out. He hasn't gotten them to you know what what has Dak Prescott ultimately done for the Cowboys. They've gone to the playoffs a couple times. True. But. This rookie year, they went um, NFC divisional round. And last year, they won the division. I don't. They didn't win that playoff game. And they they also went in 18. So they've been they've been in playoffs three times. He's one in three of the playoffs. That's pretty good. I may take Deshaun Watson out because of his. his I wouldn't may. I would. <laughs> Who else was in that list? Um, down the down at the bottom, it was uh, uh, it Herbert. Was Herbert seventh, and I got you. Uh, Russell oh, Wilson is eight. That was sent to me. I, I can look at my phone. Um, it's tough. There's it's, a lot of good quarterbacks. I don't know if I would have Aaron Rodgers number one. Who you have Mahomes? Probably Mahomes. Just because you look at Aaron Rodgers' playoff uh, records. Hadn't really won a big, big playoff game in a while. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Mahomes has won a Super Bowl. I think I'd put Tom Brady above Josh Allen just because Tom Brady has uh, won Super Bowls here recently. My number one would be Josh Allen. I like that dude. He's a really talented quarterback. And he deserves to be on this list. Now, is this list current incoming quarterbacks, what they're going to do this year, or is it – I think also, it's best right now. I don't think it's right per- now. I don't think it's reflective nor predictive of Tom Brady's success. I, yeah, in the yeah. Past, I don't think yeah. you're accounting for any of the accolades or past se- in past seasons other than, other than how they might pretend to how good you are at this current moment. So also, that's not to say, oh, I think this team's going six and eleven this year. Therefore, I'm not picking this guy highly. I'm saying like, if you play one game tomorrow, who are the best ten to lead a team? I pick Josh Allen. You have a good argument for it, too. I mean, I think Josh Allen's a great quarterback. I yeah. So, I don't love Josh Allen as much. Threw 15 picks last year. Um, I think that Buffalo was actually a little underwhelming for most of the season, and then they had this big um, postseason rush. And I think the postseason rush kind of ruined some of these rankings because, like, I think Stafford's too high. Like, I don't think at any point until this year you would have said Stafford was as high as six. And I also want to remind people, Matthew Stafford led the NFL in interceptions last year. He threw 17. He threw several interceptions returned for touchdowns. OBJ down there somewhere. And I get his team won the Super Bowl. But, again, in a sport where you have ten other people on just one side of the ball – 
I think you look around the league and you say the Los Angeles Rams were the most talented team in the NFL. Oh, yeah. And they they purposely did that. They traded draft picks for Stafford. Obviously, they had, they've had a generational player on defense in Aaron Donald. They, they got Von Miller. Uh, they had uh, Jalen Ramsey. You know, great Pro Bowl players at every level of their defense. Obviously, at wide receiver as well. Cooper Cup has become one of the top five receivers in the league. They still had Odell Beckham Jr. Like, they have a great coach. Like, Stafford did a great job in that role. But I know we're not looking at everything. I'm, uh, this is not a ranking of people's careers, but I'm just saying, like, based off of the previous seasons, like, there's a certain level that Matthew Stafford can't obtain for you. And he's always kind of been interception prone. He's only had one year in his entire career, and he only played eight games in that year, by the way, where he's thrown less than 10 interceptions. Like, this guy is throwing double digit interceptions every single year. And so I just, I don't know if he's really top 10. I honestly, I don't know if he's top 10 because I do like Derek Carr for the reasons you mentioned, Brooks, that Derek Carr had, Derek Carr had uh, almost 5,000 yards passing last year for Las Vegas and led a team that has lesser talent to the playoffs. I think of, like I said, Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson has to be in there. People forget last year that Lamar Jackson and Baltimore were the one seed in the AFC, and then he got hurt. He had that ankle problem. Yeah. And Baltimore almost limped into the playoffs, literally and figuratively, but ultimately they couldn't because Lamar was not in the field. And so Lamar's impact on winning and everything that he's been doing uh, for the game, for, for his franchise, tells me he's a top 10 quarterback because he has, there's an entire system devoted to him. Um, and, and so I I like Lamar well into that top 10 I guess to complete who I take out and take kick in I, I do put I agree with both of you guys I agree that Carr and Jackson are in mm-hmm. I take Prescott and I take Stafford out because I think also the narrative on Deshaun Watson the only real question take the availability part out again if I'm pretending that we're just talking about how good this person is right now. The only question I would have is someone that just did not play last year. I think that's the most practical question to ask of how good is Deshaun Watson right now because how good was he the year before? Yeah, the team sucked, but I'm going to re-pull these numbers back up to to illustrate how dominant of a season he was amidst a horrible Houston season. In 2020, Deshaun Watson was a 70% passer. He led the NFL with 4,823 yards. He threw 33 touchdowns against just seven interceptions. And we also know that he has a, a really quality ability to run. I would put him in the top five or six in the league and his ability to scramble uh, and make plays with his feet. And so Watson, to me, is a complete package. Um you know, and again, it's always subjective. Do you, do you say, well, the, the Texans were still awful, so there's a, a limit to how important he is? Sure, but I just think that the quality of it suggests that he is capable of doing more robust things than someone like Dak Prescott, who he has some legs to, and he put up big passing numbers too. But Prescott's also had some of those uneven seasons where the Cowboys have been probably too worried but worried enough to try and not give him his big deal and so 
I think the, the bottom line is, if you have any of these 12, 13 guys, you're in a good place. And the league is incredibly talented at quarterback. There's no more days where like the 15th best quarterback is like, I don't please have good defense. Um, you now have like Kyler Murray as like the number 13 or 14 quarterback. Again, halfway through the season last year, Arizona was gangbusters. And they faded ultimately, but I think there's still legitimate questions about Kingsbury and about their system and everything. But Kyler Murray was excellent for the first eight to ten games of last season. And I agree that he's not a top ten quarterback in the league. So the ultimate thing here is quarterbacks in this league are awesome. Kudos for using the word gangbusters. That's great. Uh, three three four eight eight seven thirty four one locally toll free one triple eight nine tiger nine JJ Jackson has stepped out of the room for a minute. We will get back to our NFL quarterback discussion in just a moment, but right now let's go back to the Auburn Bank phone line and Ward Damn Steve joins us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Steve, how are you doing today? Hey, great, gentlemen. Thanks for uh, squeezing me in here, Mr. Ryan. Mr. Ryan Lavoy. Yes, sir. Okay, I want to commend you on the excellent point that you made on Friday about uh, the uh, the ongoing issue about traditions and the uh, alignments of conferences. Uh, you made some really excellent comments. In fact, I told him yesterday I thought you should write an op-ed on that. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. I mean, you had a lot of good, good mentions. I heard Luke's comments. Uh, I happen to agree with some of them. But, you know, then I listened to the podcast just a few minutes ago with uh, Brandon Marcel's comments and mm-hmm. – uh, Unfortunately, I think what he is, uh, you know, predicting is not really a far-out prediction. I think eventually what's going to lead to is we're going to have semi-pros being uh, college uh, games, probably football and basketball. But what I'm going to ask you is this: so if that's going to be what it's going to be, like like semi-pros, will it then be possibly then a union? for the players, players' union, just like there is, you know, in, in the professionals, and they uh, have bargaining uh, with uh, the universities as to uh, what their pay and salary is going to be? Um, I'm not very good in this area, I'll admit. Uh, I don't know if the, other guy, if the other guys here have an opinion. My first brush is that I, I don't know what would stop them, maybe just – the scope of it being so large, it's too large to unionize. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I, um, I, I suppose that you would have elements in play there, but um, I, I, uh, I really uh, not very knowledgeable, admittedly, in that that subject. Well, I just came because I've read some articles on that, and then when Brandon talked about semi-pro, well, then that means you got an employee-employer relationship now, right? So then, what happens to the so-called student athletes? That you know that that philosophy. Yeah, I mean, I I think it stays there a little bit because I still think that they were would require you to take classes while yeah. you did come to you know play for the university. So on a level, if it were to get to that point, it would still be a, a level of student athlete, but it would just be you know a, a little bit more. You're getting more paid on the side, but it, it, this time it'd be if it got to what you're saying a semi pro, you're getting more directly paid that, rather than paid for quote unquote your endorsements. My my concern, Steve, with with part of this is you know these. T- top guys that get paid a ton to go to these schools, the Arch Mannings of the world and that sort of thing, they'll probably end up in the NFL and they'll end up making more millions and their schooling part will ha- will not matter at all. But we still have to remember that 
80 90 percent of these kids will never make the nfl and you know a portion of them will go play in the cfl they'll play in, in smaller leagues around the world but the reality is at least half over half will not play professional football and that, that schooling part of it is very important and so that part will always have to stay now do kids because you know all these kids are going to get something in a nil wise now do a bigger portion of kids not take it as seriously because they they themselves think they are headed towards a career in the nfl and they they don't take the schooling seriously you know maybe that's an unintended consequence maybe that's something that needs to be monitored but I still think the schooling aspect will always have to be an important role for these kids because, again, half or more than half will not end up doing this professionally. Right, and that concerns me because will this kind of, you know, if we're going in this direction of employment, does it then impact negatively the other non-revenue-producing sports, you know, like equestrian, like, I don't know, soccer, uh, like softball, like tennis, golf they don't produce revenue for the universities by large do they uh not really the last time i checked from auburn university now this is years ago when i was still a student but the only sports that made money was football basketball i believe baseball broke even yep i think i know the report you're talking about yep and i want to say softball was like up there but they were it was it didn't make money but it didn't lose much either yeah and those are really the only sports sports do they go by the wayside? Um, well, Title IX, I, I would hope that, right. it, it, you know, with Title IX in place, no. But I, I can see the concern because the question becomes if we got to put all these, if we got to put money into making, you know, paying these athletes and, and getting them into programs, what's going to happen to the smaller sports such as soccer? Hopefully, you hope that a lot of the money that's going to these players are from boosters, and they're not yeah. taking it from programs. So, I guess the, the 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 best answer is it really depends on how well organized your athletic director is, and making sure they're not blowing up your own athletic department. I think that's a role of it, Steve. And then I also want to add to that: remember that technically, okay, if these other sports are already losing money, and the football and basketball are already making money. Well, then, how are these smaller sports operating? They're operating in part because of the money that the bigger sports have made. So I think one could argue, yes, schools will always pocket money. But I think you could argue that if you're just making even more hand over fist in football, then in theory, then some of that money will still be directed towards the other athletics programs. Again, along with Jared's point, if you have a competent and not greedy, overly greedy um, athletics department. Yeah, see, my concern is it's going to be the money makers will become greedier. The employees, this, you know, maybe a, a, a player's union will somehow divvy up the money, but not equally uh, to the non reviewing um, players who then will feel like, boy, I guess we're, we're, we're just, you know, almost like uh, third class citizens, you know. Um, and that I think will we'll, we'll damage all student athletes' sports uh, eventually. But just to give you an idea of what Brandon Barcelona mentioned yesterday, Andy Staples, if you haven't read his article, it's excellent. Uh, in the Atlantic, I mean, the Athletic, here's some, some stat that he pulled up from uh, these people who did the research for him. He said this from 2015 to 2021, there were 951 games involved that drew more than a million viewers, guys, okay? Now, here's the catcher. 732 of those 951 games involved the Big Ten, the SEC, and or Notre Dame. They, those 
two big conferences plus Notre Dame drew more than one million viewers. So I did the math, and 732 of 951 games played that involved more than one million viewers, that comes out to 77%. So 77% of the games from this time period, from 2015 to 2021, consisted of the Big Ten and the SEC games and Notre Dame. And that's it. It wasn't the ACC. It wasn't the Big 12. It wasn't the Pac-12. So now Marcel is correct. It is ESPN and Fox News that is driving this. And I heard him say this outstanding uh, figure of over a half a billion dollars it would require for a team like Clemson to get out of the ACC. Is that correct? I don't know if it's that figure. I know it's a robust figure that... Uh, I think I heard say four to five hundred million dollars. It's binding until like twenty thirty five or twenty thirty six. So it, whatever the figure is, the ACC did a really good job of kind of locking schools into it for for over the next decade. And nobody thinks that some ACC team may decide to go to court and challenge it. I mean, you could, but like, I mean, some some contracts are legit, and like, and some deals are hard to pull poke holes through. I mean, great lawyers find a way, but if you've got good lawyers yourself, you've got a airtight deal, then, I mean, there's only so much you can do. Yeah. I'll, All right. No, I was, was going to say, back in... Uh, what year did we go to SEC Championship lose to Georgia? I hate to bring up... 2017. Okay. Well, I hate to bring up bad memories. Uh, that year, I was an intern with the athletic department, and uh, at Auburn let me go to the SEC Championship game uh, to work inside the press box. And before the game, we had a meeting with Greg Sankey. And one of the other students from, uh, I want to say like either Missouri or, or Texas A&M out there west, asked... Hey, this is in 2017. And he asked, hey, what do you think about expansion and who would be the teams that you would go after? And I remember Sankey answering this question, and it's amazing how it came back around. He said the two teams we will look at is Oklahoma and North Carolina because of TV markets, right? SEC is not really in North Carolina, nor are they in Oklahoma. And then years later, here comes Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC. Uh, so I think the, the big thing is that this was always, when you run something like this, as big as college football, as a business, it was always going to consolidate and run in this direction, especially with players the way they are, and especially with universities and teams. Um, you just got to hope that eventually you get the right people in place that kind of keep it stable. Uh, the ACC did that with their contract, kind of locking people in. Um, but it, it's not surprising to see people trying to get to the Big Ten and SEC, right? We, we love the game. We love sports. But unfortunately, the, the, the way this, this thing works is money, and they're going where the money's at. Okay. Uh, thanks for the comments. Real quickly, guys, I you got to let me go. Uh, I want to just expand real quickly on Phil Steele. Uh, here's what he said in his recent, uh, I guess, podcast with uh, – Chris Gordy. I guess you know him? Yeah, yeah we've had, SEC. Yeah, had him on a okay. few times. Well, he was asked, uh, is, uh, actually, the podcast was locked on SEC. It's real recent. And so he asked him, who did he consider to be surprise teams in the SEC? His pick for the West is Auburn. Here's what he said. I think Auburn this year has a much higher buy-in level than they did last year, and they've got talent. I think Auburn is going to surprise some people. Wow. And then he went on to say this. Steele is ranking Auburn's offense, I think I mentioned to you yesterday, in uh, the number 10 offensive line. And that puts them where? Ahead of Arkansas, Alabama, 
Texas A&M, Florida, and Tennessee. In fact, the only SEC team ranked higher in Steel's offensive line unit rankings is who? Georgia. Georgia. Now, I find that astounding, guys, because if you tell me all that, well, then how in the world uh, are we projected to only have six or seven wins? Because, you know, if this is a tip uh, ranking, our offensive line ranking is number 10, according to Phil Steele, then we should be blowing holes for uh, Tank Bigsby, right? Yeah, no, I mean, they should be running the ball well if that ends up being. Uh, and that's an interesting assessment because I really have not heard of that many people thinking that highly of Auburn's offensive line. Um, and and are, you, are you saying, Steve, that Phil still ultimately picked Auburn to win six or seven games despite saying they'd be a surprise team? Or No, no, uh, he didn't say how many he predicts. Okay. It just says that's his surprise team in the West. And he's ranking Auburn as the tip best offensive line in the country. Right. In the country, which is ahead of Alabama. A&M, Florida, and Arkansas, the only other team that he has higher rank than in the SEC uh, in the country is Georgia. That's it. Yeah, I, I think Auburn would, would surprise a lot of people if they ultimately grade out and be a top-10 offensive line this year. I think they w- would overperform if, if that were the case. And, I mean, I'm just remarkable because he usually doesn't say that many glowing things about Auburn, at least in the past five or six seasons. I've read his comments about it, right? Yeah, he's, no, he's yeah it's been a mixed bag. So with, with that being said, I'm trying to figure out then feel still, you know, for what he charges for his uh, you know, publication every year and all the stats he does, how does he disagree with Las Vegas? And uh, why is Las Vegas lying right now six and a half, the total wins? If you've got the best, the, the number ranked 10th offensive line in the country, better than Alabama's even, and only second to Georgia, how can you be, be projected to only win six and a half or actually seven wins or less than six uh, six games, guys. Um, the, it doesn't match up. I, I think it really just comes back to when it's Vegas, they're taking they, – Vegas has, like, Phil Steele and, like, a hundred other people that they're looking at combining all their numbers and, and, and what they're looking at. For Auburn, I think – and this is for any – this is for everybody, us included, fans, anybody in any sport. It's recency, it's recency bias. Nobody remembers how you started the season, but the dang sure remembered how you ended the season, and nobody liked the way that Auburn ended last year. So I think it comes back to that. You, you just got that bad taste in your mouth. You remembered how Auburn finished the year, and it's like – it did this team get better over the offseason when they arguably still have the second or third toughest schedule in the nation? You got to go through Alabama and Georgia, and you got to go through your, your LSUs and your Penn States. And if you don't think Auburn got better from last year to this year, and they beat only one of those teams, and that being LSU, then that's three automatic losses right there. Because definitely Georgia, Alabama, and Penn State either stayed the same or got better from last year. No no doubt what you said uh, makes sense. You know, all the logic. That's why I couldn't figure out that Phil still even said this in his book. He said the Tigers' offensive line opens holes for 4.7 yards per carry and allowed just 23 sacks in 2021. This year, he says, they have four starters back, and the career starts jump to 120. Eight offensive linemen are back with starting experience, and offensive tackle Austin Troxell has NFL talent. End of quote. So, do they not pay attention to returning starters? Because Phil Steele is is making that that observation. Yeah, I mean, mean, they... Everyone rates what experience means 
differently because Auburn has experience, but they've also, and and the experience so far, have not been uh, overly good. I mean, they've had parts of it where it's been good. They've had improvement in the pass blocking, as we talked about earlier in the show, but not improvement in the run blocking. So the, the question with the experience is, do you expect those guys to take another jump? And yeah. usually they do, but but nevertheless, like the jump still has to happen. Just simply being on campus for another year does not entitle you to automatically being better. You still have to make that improvement. So I I, I think that you're just seeing there, Phil. I guess ma- making the assumption that Auburn's experienced all the guys they have back, they will make that jump, and that jump. Will, will be a pretty big jump. And not only does the offensive line got to make that jump, but we still have a unknown at quarterback, what I'm going to assume is Calzada, and whatever five or six guys he's throwing to receiver-wise, right? Um, that's going to be half the game plan. Not only that, but can Brian Harson put together game plans to get Auburn the win? It was like that in the beginning of the season. It didn't end like that at the end of the season. And that's just ultimately what it comes down to making that jump and then the passing game. What can Calzada do with the weapons that he got? But we have a lot of unknowns. I, I agree. But so do other SEC teams, too. Ole Miss, we don't know who their quarterback is going to be starting. But real quickly, guys, I know uh, media days are coming up. I guess you know who our representatives are going to be, right? Yes. Yes. Tank Bigsby. Were you surprised? Der- I was. That Owen Papo was not included? Uh, we we asked uh, Zach Blackerby this earlier, and uh, he was ultimately a little surprised. But when you talk through the three guys that are there, those are not surprises. I mean, uh, Tank Bigsby, obviously, the most talented player on Auburn's roster. Derek Hall is a guy that could have gone pro. Um, and then John Samuel Shanker had a very productive year as a tight end, a senior leader that's usually very well and outspoken. So, I mean, th- these choices do make sense. Yeah. Okay, I'm still. I was disappointed. I thought for sure he was a shoe in because this is his last year. He he decided to come back. He didn't have to. Sure, um, but I also think that uh, just because last year was was so disappointing and because he did go last year, I, I think it's okay to change change some things up. Okay, that's it. Uh, thank you guys for letting me ramble and maybe maybe I don't know making some sense, but uh, I'm. I'm not really that, uh, and I, I'm sad to say that I just don't feel that excited this year about the uh, football season uh, like I used to be. It's just not that, that I guess, uh, that, that, uh, that meaningful to me anymore, uh, just over the college landscape itself. you know. And I hate to see that because I used to look forward to, uh, to the opening season, I look forward uh, to other SEC teams and the rivalries. They just are, are well now. Uh, I'm a fan. Say I'm. I'm almost becoming like. Okay, so yeah, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I hope you guys all feel like that, and maybe you can do something to encourage me. But right now, uh, I'm just. I'm. I'm. I'm where that's at, and uh, that that for me is disappointing on my own. Uh, just my own self that I'm just not feeling that energized and that ready to go kick some ass. So thank you guys for your time. I want to hear your comments on what I said, hopefully. And um, until next time, where you go, guys, no matter what. Where you go, Steve. That was retired Wardam Steve joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. He's not, the, he's not the only person feeling that. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a lot of uh, – n- there's not a lot of 
emphasis on the football season. I think it's more so because basketball had such a good year and baseball is just coming off a really, really good season. I think once we get to August, you're going to see some people turn turn around and start getting fired up about football. It's just you're coming off of that big baseball run and people are still thinking about that and there's not really been a lot to get excited about over the summer. But once you hit August, once people actually see football on the field, as in fall camps and get to high school football season, people are going to start firing things up again. JJ's back with us. Here I am. Thank you again to Steve for calling in a moment ago. 334-887-3401. I did want to pass along the word uh, to Steve that he did hear correctly from Brandon Marcello on yesterday's show talking about realignment. Such a big talking point for ACC schools. I added an extra C there. I don't know if you guys caught that. Uh, Atlantic Coast Community Conference. (laughs) (laughs) For ACC schools, it will be over half a billion dollars for any of those institutions to get out of the ACC and move on to another conference. It would get made up, but it would take a little while. Are you saying the ACC has their bird rates? I mean, that is. I mean, it's over half a billion dollars. And you need that for because a school. Imagine if it was leave. lower. We're not seeing these figures in other. I mean, it's just insane. And talking about the future of Notre Dame, how they impact all of this. Good numbers from Andy Staples and his reporting. I'm glad Steve brought that up in his phone call as well. Notre Dame, a big player. Uh, as Brendan Marcello reminded people again, when Notre Dame, if they decide to join a conference, when they are required in law to speak with the ACC first and foremost about joining the ACC in football considering all of their other varsity sports are in the ACC. So you will not see Notre Dame going to the SEC or any other conference unless the ACC fails to exist. But it seems as though the ACC will continue to be in play, even more so, as we were talking about earlier in the program, if Greg Sankey just outright says, hey, we're staying at 16 and can kind of silence the noise himself next week at the podium, I think that would speak volumes to what we can do. All right, are we playing some softball today? I don't know. I haven't been able to. Is Did you get a call outside? from the league office? Still? I haven't, I haven't got a call yet. Austin. Sprinkling. Okay. I haven't got a call yet. I just confirmed the last time we got postponed this season, I got the phone call at 6.05. Yeah. So well, that was for a 7.30 game, though. That right. wasn't as detrimental as the... Uh, but they still had to call the 6.30 people and let them know yeah. to call off those uh, But games. we're the 6.30. But we are the 6.30 Our people. Our team's going to so, be getting So here. We, need, we need to know uh, kind of what the plan is moving forward. Brooks, thank you for being here, man. Absolutely. Uh, Jared, thanks for stopping by. Always. Big Josh Allen guy. Oh, big Josh Allen guy. Yeah. Even though, you know, he doesn't play for the Colts. Well, I mean, did you want me to throw Matt Ryan in the top 13? Because I would have. I was going to do it. We could. We ran out of time. We need to figure out where he stacks up. Where are the Carolina Panthers in this list? Uh, probably can we can four, fourth in the NFC South. <laughs> where are they in all Darnold that? Darnold is not top 30, just so you know. Ryan, thanks Baker for being here. top 30. I enjoyed it. Clock up. Yeah, indeed. That does it for today's show. Thank you to Chuck Culpepper and Zach Blackerby for being on the program. For Jared Dillard, Ryan LaVoy, and Brooks Childress, Austin Scott, and Brant Daughtry, my name is JJ Jackson. Thank you and good day.